0: Welcome back to another episode of the show. Thank you so much for being here, as always. I am sitting in the van right now. I was trying to record this episode outside, sitting by the river, but it's a tad too breezy. And there's a very loud train that comes by, which is nice to look at and experience, but not so nice to hear uh, in the background of a podcast intro. So, Still have the gorgeous view just a little farther away, and I am sitting safe and sound in the van. Uh, Getting a little smoky here. We're uh, just outside Plains, Montana. I have to say, we haven't been super affected by smoke or fires yet, but I know uh, fires are ravaging so much of the West right now. And uh, a lot of people that I know and love have been affected or evacuated. And yeah, it's just kind of regular life now isn't it we um, go into August through (laughs) November or so and you just never really know what's going to go up in flames but it seems like every year now something does pretty badly it reminds me a lot of when I started this podcast there were really terrible fires um, in Southern California in late 2018 sometime in late October I believe and I was evacuated from my home for uh, nine days in Topanga because all of Malibu was burning down. And it was a really intense time, not just because I was evacuated, but because there was so much going on in my life. I had just launched this podcast. Um, there was a lot of personal stuff going on, and I'm sure you can all relate to that thing that happens when you're going through some sort of internal crisis and the world outside you seems to be reflecting that. I feel like I have a specific relationship with fire because fire is normally always the reflection for me, which I've always sort of joked about like, okay, I get it. Everything's fucking burning down. (laughs) You don't need to visually show me. I understand. Um, but that was definitely happening for me. I, uh, I recorded an episode, which I definitely recommend going back and listening to if you haven't already. I know I've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast as of late, but I think it was the second episode I ever posted. Um, it's called, or maybe the third it was called Live from the Apocalypse and it was me just sort of talking about my experience of being evacuated and what was going through my mind and what I was thinking about. I talked a lot about this book called The Great Bay, um, which was written in 2010, but took place in 2020 and seemed at the time and seems even more so now to basically have predicted everything that's going on from the environment to politics, et cetera. It's, uh, I think the the subtitle is Chronicles of the Collapse which occurs in 2020 shocking. Um anyway, I was reflecting on that uh book and sort of seeing this wildfire evacuation apocalyptic type environment as predictive or preamble for the future. And just kind of sharing my thoughts on what that made me think about and what I wanted to do in my own life to prepare for something like that if it were to happen. And even if it didn't happen, just how could I use that experience and the feelings that I had and the what felt like premonitions to make better choices for myself, to put myself in a situation where I could be a bit more independent or sustainable, not as reliant upon systems. Which is interesting, given today's episode that I'm about to bring you with Callie Russell, who lives off the land. She, I have no doubt that if the apocalypse were to come, that Callie would be just fine. She knows what to do. And I feel like not only does she know what to do in terms of how to survive, but I feel like she knows what to do more broadly as well. She speaks about something on this episode, which I've definitely thought about a lot, which is how to use uh tumultuous challenging painful experiences how to use that grief and sort of metabolize it and turn it into something else how to use those emotions and that experience in a constructive way and i was thinking about this whole concept relative to me starting this podcast during these wildfires and obviously prior to that as i've talked about a lot i was going through a really hard time and the thing that i Really, I, I felt that kind of intuitively, that I needed to use this experience in a constructive manner. How could I take all of this? It felt like physical content in a way. Like, How do I take this clay and build something with it? And this podcast was very much what I built with it. And I was sitting here last night, cooking dinner, looking out at this view, reflecting on this episode that I was going to post for you today. Just having edited it and listening to the conversation, which, by the way, is co-hosted with Chris Ryan, in case you hear Chris's voice and you're like, why is Chris in the middle of Anya's podcast? Um, We co-hosted this together, which was an interesting experience. We've often uh, interviewed the same people back to back and end up having pretty different conversations with them. so. This felt like (laughs) listening back to this and editing it, it was just like, okay, the three of us are on the same page about everything. So there's so much to talk about. And we're so excited that um, we joke in the conversation that we probably could have recorded 100 podcasts, which is totally true. Hopefully we get to record more with Callie. But anyway, after listening back to the conversation last night and sitting here in a beautiful place, as I often am, cooking delicious food, I was actually drinking iced coffee that I made with um, fresh goat milk that Callie gave us that she had milked from her goats that very morning, which was basically the most delicious thing I've ever tasted. I just felt so fucking alive and nourished. Um, But I was listening back to it thinking you know i'm i'm sure on your end you guys feel like oh i'm so glad this podcast exists or maybe maybe that's self-serving maybe you don't think that but i'm sure to some extent i know that you guys find it valuable on your end and that it's making you feel less lonely or less crazy for having the thoughts that you're having but it's honestly the same for me uh it's fascinating to me to think about the time that i went through Um, In 2017, specifically a lot of 2018, how fucking awful this time in my life was and how I really did utilize all of that the best I I could to create something meaningful, to create something long lasting and sustainable and which felt very authentic to me, which was this podcast. And to see, you know, the podcast in and of itself, sure is valuable. But the kind of branches that have grown off from the podcast itself in my life have been insane. I mean, my entire social circle is thanks to the people that I've met through this podcast. So much of the meaning that I have in my life is related to, you know, the thoughts that I have in my head, but those are funneled and filtered through the conversations I have. I pick People or ask specific questions that are the questions that I'm legitimately asking in life. And if I didn't have this platform, this project to really stew in those questions and really, you know, have them be mirrored by the people that are on the podcast, I would just be sitting there with my own thoughts feeling kind of crazy and uh, frustrated that I couldn't get them out into the world. So I just wanted to like extend a sincere thank you to all of you who are out there because this, this gratitude and meaning flows in both directions. If you guys weren't out there listening, if you guys weren't out there being like, yeah, me too, you know, this, this wouldn't be, this wouldn't work. This wouldn't feel like what it feels like for me, which is this exchange back and forth. You guys are giving me energy and, Um, making me feel so, you know, just responsible and responsible in a good way, responsible to bring you these conversations, to introduce you to these people. I mean, even I have these WhatsApp groups that I've created for my patrons and just witnessing the connection between all of you with one another. I can't even begin to explain how good that makes me feel. You know, I just feel like, I'm just the conduit to have all of you guys come together and meet each other. Like the fact that I created this little WhatsApp group on a phone and all these different people are meeting each other in in real life and reaching out to one another when they're struggling with something like these are that these are genuine connections. And now we're reading a book together for the book club. It fills me with so much joy and meaning. And really makes me have a lot of reverence for the process of breaking down and the process of grief and the process of pain. I mean, the metaphor of a fire is so perfect because I do think things need to burn sometimes, but then new life forms. And maybe that's what needed to happen. Maybe those trees were dead, you know, those plants needed to be revived. I think it's a weird... I mean, obviously, there's global warming. Obviously, a lot of wildfires are started from power lines that are not supernatural to the planet. Um, but fire, wildfire, is a natural part of life. Things do burn to give way for something else. That's how things work. So I think we try too hard to try and avoid that fire. How do I how to like maneuver around the fire? You know, How do I not... Burn down to the ashes, but still get what I want. It's not possible. I can say after meeting every, I say every single podcast guest I've had, all the people in my life who are just the most beautiful, intelligent, alive people are those who have allowed themselves to totally burn and then used those ashes to create something else. I really do feel like my entire life is made up of what came out of everything that burned before. I just had all this material to build something new, to put things back together again in a different way that felt more like an authentic reflection of myself. So thank you all for being a part of what I built and what I'm building a huge part. You guys make me feel less alone and like I'm a part of something and like this project is important and that we're all moving somewhere beautiful and supportive and communal. The difference between my life now and what it was prior to 2017, I mean, I can't even begin to explain how far away that person was and that life was. And jumping off that cliff was horrifying. And uh, as my friend Kevin says, Kevin is actually Callie's cousin. Kevin has been on the podcast before and I just recorded another episode with him. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be amazing. But Kevin explained it on the podcast we did last year as he used to be a Mormon And in order to kind of come out of that and redefine his entire worldview, which you have to do, not just if you were raised in fundamentalist religion, but with an abusive parent or in an environment that told you you couldn't be who you wanted to be, in order to move forward and be someone different or be someone who is authentic, be yourself – Uh, He describes it as you have to put yourself in an open source state. And when you're in an open source state, you're totally vulnerable to viruses and to being attacked and to being taken advantage of. So you have to have a lot of um, discernment for what kind of software to install after you uninstall everything. But you really can't install anything until you get rid of all the crap. So I hope... Some of you can use this podcast or use whatever, whatever branch you can use to hold on to while you uninstall all the bullshit. Having all of you here for me makes me feel like if I were ever to go through something like that again, really need to break down and burn everything, that this would be my lifeline. All of you. Knowing that you were there, that you were going to be there when I came back, that whatever process of reconstruction that I had to go through, there would be something there waiting for me on the other side. I think that is a huge reason that we don't go to those dark places or that we're afraid to go to those dark places because we don't have a branch to hold on to. So I hope I can provide even a little twig. Sometimes that's enough. I know it was for me. I know it was just my dad being like, there's light at the end of that tunnel. I know you can't see it, but it's there. And that that was enough for me to hold on. So I hope that something within the show, within these guests, within the WhatsApp group or with the book club that we're all a part of, that there's some branch that you can all hold on to. And the last thing I want to say too, it was so amazing meeting Callie for so many reasons, but I... I realized something in meeting her, which I feel like I'm often on the other side of. I think I've talked sometimes about, and I've definitely heard this reflected back to me from my friends. uh, When you're living a certain type of life, a conventional life, and your world is, you know, surrounded by other people who are doing that. When you decide to break free and to do something different and to really reject what you've been told is what you were supposed to do. What often happens is that people get angry, and it seems as if they're threatened. And in my opinion, I think what's going on there is that by you making a different choice, they often subconsciously are having to think about the fact that they always had a choice and that they made the conventional choice. And here they are watching you making the unconventional choice, which makes them feel angry at themselves, because they often didn't realize they had a choice either way. So they become threatened because it makes, them, it makes them have to think about these things for themselves. Like, oh, wait a second. I thought the plan here was that I was supposed to go to college and have babies and buy a house and get married. But you're not doing any of those things. So did that mean I had a choice? which isn't to say that for some people really what they want to do is buy a house and have kids and all of that. That's fine. But I think for a lot of people that isn't what they really wanted to do. It's just what they thought they had to do because that's what everyone was doing around them. And what happens in that place, I think can go in two directions. I think either you can look at what about that person is triggering for you and threatening to you and use it to, become more of who you are or who you or who you want to be. Or you can be mean to that person, you can project your anger and frustration and resentment at yourself and your own life onto this person that is the symbol for everything or a lot of what you don't have. And I've definitely been the person who receives a lot of that hatred and judgment from others, especially in the process of, uh, living the life that I wanted to several years ago, I got a lot of resentment and animosity about that, that, um, that interestingly with Callie, I feel like I was on the other side of it because she is doing things that I would love to do. Her ability to live on the land And recognize what plants are edible and what aren't. And be able to hunt and just really be in tune. She said something so fucking beautiful about being out. She was on the show alone, um, which just ended. And the whole purpose of the show is they drop these people in a specific location. And they're there for 100 days. They don't get to bring food. They have to survive totally off the land. They can bring a few tools and that's it. And she said something about you know, because she didn't bring any other food with her, everything that she was eating and sleeping under was from that specific land. Like she was that land. She was so pure. And that just like, when she said that, it gave me chills because, I mean, I think I've experienced maybe 2% of that, you know, I spend a lot of time outside. I live in a van. I (laughs) um, eat local food a lot, but I've never experienced anything close to that. And I could only imagine if I feel the level of sort of intuition, clarity that I feel even having had 2% of that, what she must feel truly being connected to where she is. And it made me feel like, oh, I could go even farther with this if I wanted to, you know, I, I could, really teach myself a lot more ancestral skills and that I don't have now. And I sort of felt this weird thing. And I, and I know she, we talked about this after recording the podcast, even a little on the show as well about, you know, people, especially men, (laughs) but people in general, I think don't know what to do with her. They feel incredibly threatened. She has all this knowledge and all these skills that they don't even know anything about. And of course, these are skills and knowledge that our ancestors always had as a general baseline. Um, anyway, I feel like meeting her made me feel like I was on the other end. It made me feel like maybe in when I was younger, at a place where I wasn't so secure, at a place where I wasn't totally living the life I wanted to live, that she would be incredibly threatening to me. And I would find some reason to subconsciously turn her into the enemy or something that I needed to judge. And I feel really grateful for being aware enough now in my life to when I feel a feeling like that, to see it as an opportunity to level the fuck up, you know? So if you feel that with someone, if there's someone in your life who is doing things you wish you were doing, instead of being jealous or angry or judgmental or resentful, Use it as fuel to get closer to what you want because that's what it's showing you. You know, what you dislike most about others is what you dislike most about yourself. Just knowing that fact, you know, and obviously what you like most about others is probably what you like most about yourself. We we psychologically project in the positive as well. This is why we put people up on pedestals and follow crazy gurus because they're exhibiting something within themselves that we have within us, but that we're not quite ready to understand, whether that's our shadow or whether that's our inner gold, as Robert Johnson calls it. So the people that listen to this podcast, the people that are in my life, we're all fucking awesome. These are really cool people doing really cool things all over the map. And I hope that we can all, including myself, use each other to become better, to gain more insight about who we are and what we like and what role we want to play in a community and what skills we thought we weren't smart enough to have or weren't capable of having and really utilize them to become the people we want to be. So I'm very grateful to Callie for making me feel like fuck yeah, I really want to take that goddamn herbalism class that's been sitting in my inbox that I bought years ago that I haven't done because that shit's important to me. And I've been putting it off, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. So let's all stop putting ourselves off. All right. What else? What else can I mention before we get into this podcast? Um, I just want to m- talk about horror Rapport for a second, which is my other podcast with my friend Aaron, where we talk about uh, sexuality and everything that spawns off from sexuality, power, gender, um, femininity and masculinity, uh, jealousy, non-monogamy, etc., We just released an episode uh, about femininity. It was uh, part one of a two-part series. The next one's going to be masculinity. And this was an episode we recorded a long time ago and decided it wasn't good enough. Um, And it's taken us a long time to get back to it, which I think is a good thing because we've thought a lot about these concepts um, since. So I think I trust the timing, but I'm really thrilled with, um, the episode that we did release and the one we're about to release. So if you would like to hear some more in-depth conversations about sexuality that are definitely unconventional and taboo and, um, really just focused on looking at sexuality in a way that isn't, uh, shameful or pathologizing desire in any way, I highly recommend Horror or Just nice when, uh, yeah, it's always nice when you do something that you feel really good about. So I feel really good about this femininity episode and the masculinity one that should be out any day now. So um, you can find Horror Rapport anywhere you listen to podcasts uh, and Rapport is R-A-P-P-O-R-T. So definitely check that out. Um, If you would like to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. Uh, Depending on what level you sign up for, you can send me a few dollars a month and get access to playlists and the book club that we're doing and these WhatsApp group chats, which are fucking amazing. So if you'd like to be a little more connected to this community, that is the best way to do it. Um, Or you can always leave a review or some stars on iTunes, hit subscribe. All of that stuff helps the podcast show up more in search results and also makes the podcast look more legitimate when I reach out to guests to have on the show. So Leaving a review, even if it's a word or two and some stars, really helps all of you in the end. Getting more people um, when I email them desperately to come on the show. Um, I am going to play you into the, to today's too many teas to today's episode with a song called "Solo" by Oh Wonder. I'm not entirely sure what the song is about, but every time I hear it, I'm reminded of this feeling that I had. All the time growing up was that there were people around me and I was in social situations and at parties, at dinners, and I just felt so fucking alone. And I didn't want to be there. I just wanted to be by myself. I didn't want to talk. I wanted to be a wallflower. I became a wallflower because it seemed nearly impossible to interact as myself In these situations that didn't feel welcoming to who I was. And I think it took uh, me extracting myself from those situations and really giving myself some time and space to be alone and to think about who I really was and what I wanted in order for me to find spaces and communities to exist within in which I would feel like I was a part of something and supported instead of alienated. This song reminds me of that. My conversation with Callie definitely speaks a bit about that, how much more she feels connected when she's outside and in nature and I can certainly say that when I was going through what I was going through I remember go for the first time I took a trip alone outside and uh, I was camping by myself for long periods of time and I remember going back and telling my therapist like I know I was kind of freaking out about being alone but honestly Worse comes to worse, if I can just sit out under the trees in nature, I will be fine. I felt so at home and so supported in that environment. And I hope that if you're feeling alienated and alone, just going out in nature and sitting amongst the trees and the plants and the animals I know for me gave me so much fuel and motivation and confidence that I could move forward. That worse came to worse. I could just be outside with some rabbits and that would be okay. Of course I've ha- I've gotten so much more in my life, but that was such a feeling of comfort that I took with me as I as I move forward to find everything else. Maybe this song's not about that, but uh, that's what I think about. So that's what I'm going to play, and I will catch you all on the other end.
1: I taste it, locking lips like they always wasted, tangled hips like it's a spaceship. Heavy heads are racing down the hallways to the basement, where the darkness fills the space and they can feel themselves erasing. Feel yourself erasing The bursting at the corners As the ceiling's getting shorter And I'm stuck between a talker And a VHS recorder The heat seeps over the border As our ice melts down to water Can you feel it getting smaller? I need to be so Freedom in the space and echo I need to be so low, so low Now I'm breathing Are dripping drier as their souls are slipping higher. It's like treading on a wire, laced with the kerosene and fire. The night will soon expire as their bodies soon retire. Limbs entangle in kaleidoscopes of prima donna choirs. I need to be so Freedom and the love. Space and there go I need to be so low, so low the space
2: and so.
3: The goat In- was just drinking my beer,
4: <laughs> and actually, I would welcome any bacteria that you get from sharing a beer with a goat because a good friend of mine just told me this sort of like health guru guy said that he hasn't been sick since he was in his since he was 20 and because he does this one thing every week and that is go down to the cow trough and have a drink of water from the cow trough every week because they have all this beneficial gut flora and then he has that by sharing the water with them, yeah. And I can look up who that is because he's a well-known person. But I just lick like, my dog's balls. <laughs> that's that's the see. Same that's thing. different, though. <laughs> <laughs> Good try. <but> no, <laughs> I don't dogs have a dog. don't have the same <laughs> gut flora.
3: Yeah,
0: and I would imagine some cows also, depending on where the cows are.
4: Yes. Being raised. That's true. Yeah.
3: That's true. I have a friend who's an expert in microbiome and mm-hmm. he spends half the half his time in uh, Tanzania with the Hadza. Sweet. And he talks about how they drink out of like stagnant puddles yeah. with all sorts of stuff swimming around in yeah. it and and they eat um, you know when they kill something they will throw the intestines on the yeah. fire for you know 5 seconds just singe the outside. But there's still shit inside there, and they just eat it. Yep. And, uh, yeah, if you survive childhood, that stuff's good. Yeah. Yeah. Childhood can be a bummer. 40% (laughs) die in in childhood. But you make it through that, you're going to be good. Good to go. All right. We are here uh, on a mountaintop overlooking the Flathead Valley in Montana with Callie Russell, who is a newly minted TV star, apparently. Apparently. As of, like, yesterday. Or no, no, the show's been on for a while, right?
4: This whole summer, so I, it yeah. started early June, and but the finale was just last night, right. so...
3: Alone, it's called. I haven't seen it. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. I was telling somebody yesterday, like, oh, yeah, she's on Survivor.
0: He was like, have you ever heard of the show Survivor? And they (laughs) looked at him like,
4: what?
3: (laughs) That's not what it's called. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm not super TV.
2: Yeah,
4: Yeah, Uh, me neither, actually. Isn't Um, that weird? Yeah, I'm not a TV watcher. I haven't had a TV since I for over a decade and okay and there's goats on the
3: countertop (laughs) i told you there were goats here people there's a goat in the kitchen all right callie's gonna go over there and uh (laughs) she's spraying a water bottle at the goat the goat doesn't really seem to be that
0: yeah reluctantly obedient
3: yeah like kind of like all right
4: she really wanted to eat the, well, I mean, it is tempting. You it's spend like putting, a lot of
3: time with goats. I do. Kevin was telling me mm-hmm. you, in the southwest as well or mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. the same goats or you have different herds in different parts of the country or how does that work?
4: Same, well, it's complicated. For now, it's going to be the same goats. Um, but I used to have goats for 4 years I basically lived with a goat herd. And then I took a break from goats and then just recently got back into them. So Mm -hmm. it's new goats, but it will be these goats from here on out.
3: So you'll, like, put them in a truck and take them down south? Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
4: Why goats, specifically? Goats, because... They're so distracting, that's why. I mean, if you want to be distracted from your life, just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um.
3: A lot of people looking for that these days. Forget yeah. video games, get a goat. Yeah,
4: yeah. exactly. Um, goats, well, I mean, it's there's a whole story to it, but basically I wanted to be able to live in the wilderness and relearn the skills of our ancestors. I wanted to learn to be a hunter gatherer basically, but I didn't grow up with that lifestyle. And to me, goats were a bridge back to that lifestyle. And they allow me to spend a long time in the wilderness. And when I was learning these skills, they allowed me to spend a long time out in the wilderness before I knew how to hunt, trap, um, forage for plants. So that's why goats.
3: So when you're in the wilderness with goats, are you drinking the milk? Is that why they allow you to spend more time because they're a source of food?
4: Yep, they're a food source. So, yeah, the milk is huge um, because why I was learning to hunt, what like eat the wild plants and fish and all those things, If I was unsuccessful, which obviously when you're learning, that's most of the time, I knew at the end of the day I would have that milk. So I had those calories. Right. And I could stay out. And then they also offer packing abilities. Mm. Um, They're trained pack goats. So... They can carry things, you know, just like people use llamas or horses, but um, there's different trade-offs. Um, you can't ride them like you would ride a horse, obviously, but they can do a lot of things that a horse can't. They can get to places horses can't. Hmm. Their diet is much more diverse than horses, so they can um, eat their foragers. So they eat leaves and bramble and all kinds of things and where horses just eat grass. Um, so you can they can survive in a lot of places horses can't and climb things horses can't and um and then they are also a source of like
3: the countertop in yeah. the kitchen yeah. exactly we're not gonna get a horse up on the bar hey yeah we no, were, don't worry there's nobody up there
0: we were warned to close the van doors which yeah i'm perpetually pretty terrible at but
3: yeah we have a mouse living in the <laughs> van now uh, but uh, maybe the goats would have chased the mouse out. Who knows how those things work. Do the goats attract predators when you're out in
4: the wilderness? Yeah, they do. Yeah. You have
3: an ant about to go in your pants. Oh, thank you. By the way, those are the sexiest hiking pants I've ever seen, I think. <laughs> She's wearing... Oh,
0: thank you. I think they're supposed to be practical. Yeah, Kelly's wearing it's a,
3: it's uh, hiking yeah. pants with a vent uh, on the thigh <laughs> that is open, and it's like, I don't know. I, I once gave... Uh, This is a long story, which I won't get get into, but I had a friend who was a stripper in Portland, Mm -hmm. and uh, I was leaving town, and she invited me and my buddy to come by and say goodbye, and she was working the afternoon shift, so we went to the strip club, and also I had told her I'd give her my tent because her... She split up with her boyfriend and the boyfriend kept her tent and it was what this big jerk. thing. Yeah. That's happened was like, to me
4: before, actually. And she loved <laughs> like, me. She really? had just hiked
3: the Appalachian <laughs> Trail. Yeah. And she's like, you know, she's like, I love that tent. I slept in that tent all summer and he's being a, I was like, okay, fuck the dude. I'll give you my tent. I have this really nice tent. So we go to the strip club, and uh, she's dancing, and my buddy's like, well, we have to tip her. I was like, do we? Like, even though we know her? And she's like, yeah, we should. I was like, oh, yeah. I put my tent on the stage. (laughs) So I tipped a stripper (laughs) with a tent in Portland. (laughs) Classic Portland. Only
4: in Portland.
3: Only in Portland. (laughs) Exactly. In any other town that would not have been well-received. Yeah,
4: and she was thankful, too. Like, sweet. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah.
3: Goddamn, $400 tent. Best tip she ever got. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, some, so, somehow the slit in your hiking pants reminded me of a Portland stripper getting a tent tip. I don't know. My podcast is called Tangentially Speaking, and that's why.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Works with me. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about prey, I think.
3: Prey. Oh, predators. Go- oh, predators. Like if that's the goats I mean, attract yeah. mountain lions and bears and stuff.
0: Right.
4: Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. And in the previous herd that I had, I started out without a dog, and then one night I was woken up to a horrible sound and a mountain lion attached to my goat at the neck and dragging her out of camp. And um, I actually saved that goat. Hmm. She lived. Um, And then I got a dog. (laughs) (laughs) I think
3: you're bearing the lead here. How did you save the goat?
4: Um, with, so I can tell the whole story if you want. I'll still tell Mm. just a, you know, just a brief, I'll tell the brief version of the story, but I was camping in the Southwest, um, with my partner at the time in our herd of goats and the goats had just given birth and it was this really beautiful time in the spring. The cottonwood leaves were just coming back on and, um, Then um, and there were always javelinas that would pass through at night and I would hear them. I'd get out of bed and go check. Okay, cool. It's just javelinas. The goats are good. Everything's fine. But then this night um, it wasn't fine. I went out there and this mountain lion was on this goat, Lily Rose, and she had her by the neck. And she was emanating the most powerful force I had ever felt because I was 10 feet away from her. And it was just amazing, the primal instincts that kicked in within me. I was totally asleep. And then I just woke up before I even, my eyes were still like fuzzy from sleep. I knew what was going on, that it was a mountain lion, that the goat was still alive, that I needed to save her. And I was yelling at the mountain lion. I was like, give me back my goat, you know. (laughs) And I wasn't fearful at all. What came over me was like, a motherhood sort of protection. Like that's my goat. You eat something else. That's my goat. I protect her. And so I just, that mountain lion was not wanting to back down. She was so fierce. She was a mother trying to feed her own kittens, And she was like, Oh hell no, this is my goat. I'm eating this goat. And I was like, no, it's my goat. (laughs) And so we had this stare down in the middle of the night in the Southwest. And she was slowly dragging her behind Um, she wasn't a very big mountain lion. That's, I think she, I'm pretty sure it was a mother and, uh, she was dragging her out of camp down this little footpath and I just followed her with every step she took back. I took a step and I had my headlight in her eyes and I was yelling at her and I called my partner who was still sleeping. I was like, grab my 22. I had this 22 from my grandpa, um, Kevin's uh, grandfather, uh, too. And, um, and I was like, grab the gun, like we can save this goat. And he came out, he took a shot, but she uh, he didn't he missed her, which I'm happy about because I don't really wanna kill predators. I don't wanna kill Mountain well, lions. Twenty
3: two might not kill her anyway.
4: Um we were Shorter ten feet away head. from her. Yeah, yeah. Ten feet. Right. So in the in it, with a good shot. Yeah. It could have. Um but she ran up the mountainside and um Lily Rose just flopped over like a swan. Um, and like her neck was swanned over and just bleeding everywhere. And, I thought she was a goner for sure, but then, um, I was like, oh my gosh, Lily Rose is going to die. How am I going to feed her baby she just had two days ago? But then she just jumps up the, her motherhood instinct. She was like, I have to find my babies. And she ran back to the tent and I was like, oh my gosh, like, okay, we're saving Lily Rose. And then I go and find all her neck was just all these puncture wounds. Every time I was dressing a wound, I'd find another one and her esophagus and trachea were torn open and, um. Oh, we doctored her up, all with plant medicines, um, no stitches, all all the plants of the Southwest that were there we used to doctor her up, and it took a long time, like a month of doctoring her bandages, but she lived, and her babies survived, and it was incredible. Goats mm-hmm. are wow. freaking strong. Yeah. Do you eat goats? Yeah, I do. So you harvest them yep. as well? Yeah, so they're also a source <clears throat> of meat, right. hides, bones, right. fat,
2: huh.
4: yeah. Yeah, incredible. I mean, you can get, you can just live off of a herd of goats. Yeah. Easy. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. How are we going to coordinate this? I know. There are going to be long pauses where we don't want to interrupt each other. <laughs> this is the, I think we told you this is the first time we've done this together. Oh, this is
0: the first time. Yeah, yeah we yeah. did it one other time. We haven't released the episode yet, but, but the, that was the, very it unique. Was, yeah, the person we were interviewing was having a really hard time with his hearing. So we just sat there in silence and wrote questions and he just, answered them in
3: yeah he's an old guy he's he's yeah. my graduate school mentor so
0: it's like we did it but Stanley. we were silent yeah I mean, there, there wasn't a the
3: question of you know taking yeah. turns or letting you
0: i think i think you just not think about it i think we should be, we'll be fine we'll be
3: all right yeah. i just don't want to dominate you know uh, mansplain
0: yeah you know man podcast that'd be
3: a good good name for a podcast the mansplainer <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um I wanted to sort of get to the beginning of this, because as I mentioned to you earlier, when I was a kid, uh, I was born, a, you know, 30 years before you or something. But uh, when I was a kid, like Native American uh, culture was the rage, you mm-hmm. know, like hippies were wearing buckskin. There's all this back to the land you know, nature worshiping was sort of coming back. People were tripping and going out in the woods and, you know, get away from the, you know, the system. And, you know, and here I am 58 years later writing, I just published a book called civilized to death. It's a, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of, um, a critique of civilization, Mm -hmm. which I, in some ways I feel I kind of wrote, um, as as an act of, of respect and, uh, Gratitude Gratitude and, But I was going to say Like like I don't know Like a sense of shame as well You know yeah. Like I, I'm from the culture That fucked it all up mm-hmm. And I feel some responsibility To acknowledge What's happened The true story Of what's Absolutely. happened Absolutely um, But anyway For me I mean I kind of feel like That's where my fascination With uh, North American Indian tribes Came from And You know As I told you I would come home from school Put on a loincloth uh you know i was curing skins in the backyard this is a suburbia um where did it come from for you why, why do you think you resonated with this so deeply
4: right well for me a few things happened um one when i was um 7 years old I lost both of my brothers. Um, They both died in two separate occasions in the same year. And that um, face with death at such a young age really shaped me and what I wanted my life to be about. I knew that I couldn't take life for granted and I wanted to get the most out of it. And so that happened for me. And also at a young age, I sort of pieced together... Like, okay, we go to school and then high school and then college and then a job. And then you can buy a house and work the job and pay for the house and have a family. And that's the goal of life. And I was like, oh, well, that seems sort of disappointing that that's all that that's my life purpose. And um, so I felt that as a, as a young person. And then when I learned as a teenager, I learned about the modern food industry um, and how, disappointing that is. And at the same time was learning about cultures, pre-industrialization and all those things together fueled me to have, I just had this deep desire to learn about the old ways. I felt like for me to move forward in the world and to know where to go in the world, I had to look back. I had to look into the past and I just became obsessed with living out. I was obsessed with the idea of living outside. Mm-hmm. I wanted to live outside and I had no idea how to do that, but I knew that people had done that for a long time, a lot longer than we'd been living in cities and with industry and agriculture. And so I just became obsessed with that. And, um, uh, after college I finally had the courage. I kind of studied those things, um, and learned them as about them as much as I could. And then after college, I finally got the courage to just go and just, start immersing myself out in the wild. And there's obviously a lot to the story. It's hard to wrap it up in a little tidy bundle. But I was working as when I was also a teenager, I worked um, at the Conservation Corps in Oregon on a trail crew. And that was living outside all summer, working on trails with a group of people, peers, and and, um, there was, like, young 20s that were our, like, group leaders. And we worked hard outside all day. And we sat around the fire and laughed and joked and sang songs and ate food. And this was coming when I was, you know, 15. I was so angry about just everything. I was learning about human history, and I just Mm -hmm. got very, very upset And really depressed too because I was living in the city and I felt depressed confused all the things that I think aren't you know aren't strangers to most of us those Hmm. feelings um stress anxiety and then when I was living with the trail crew I was like this is amazing I feel so good I feel so happy I want to do this kind of thing all the time Mm -hmm. and then I got a job hi Borte hello there's a goat right here she's breathing yeah
3: we should get a picture of the goat where's where's the phone that's uh, <laughs> they'll, the they'll be around there yeah. will be
4: many goat photo ops yeah do you think you're gonna yes as yeah. yes, you want to be part of this she's funny podcast. she came over
3: to me like a dog and just put her head against my leg and like waited for me to pet her <laughs> i mean i guess that's what she was doing <laughs> they're very friendly yeah really yeah. friendly
4: i've raised them similar to dogs because uh. you can raise a goat in so many ways, just like you can raise a dog in so many ways, but I've raised them how you would dogs. Like I'm with them all the time. They get lots of love and affection. They know their names. They come when I call them. Those kinds of things. So they're kind of more like dogs than goats, but... Some things But about then him.
3: You, you kill them and eat them. <laughs> I know. I'm like a dog. Now you got, what, what do you want to <laughs> She's do wanna, like right <laughs> in your face. Do you want to talk? Do you want to be yeah, interviewed? Like, uh, Is that what's going me? on? got <laughs> <What laughs> to get that picture. It's so doing? funny. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> well, okay, this is the weirdest interview
4: ever. <laughs> This is Borte She's the queen of the herd Borte. Yeah, so, funny. All
3: right. so we interrupted you, yeah. were, you were, So, so you, did you grow up here in Montana? No Where'd you grow up?
4: I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona So oh, I grew okay. up in urban sprawl oh. My dad's from up here And my grandparents and great-grandparents So I have a lot of generational history right. here Um, And I came up here as a kid often in the summers and things. So I grew up in urban sprawl, um, but my parents, I'm so thankful for them because I got to get outside a lot. We always went camping. Mm -hmm. We went hiking. We came up here to visit the grandparents a lot. So I got to see that there was more to life than
0: just urban sprawl.
4: Grossness. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm curious too. I have a lot of people that listen to my podcast who are like in their 20s and 30s who mm-hmm. feel completely miserable and, you know, super angry about the world and all of that, but feel so terrified to do something differently mm-hmm. um, and feel super alienated about the things that they want to do and just afraid of rejection of the, you know, quote-unquote community that they've, they've had thus far. Um, did you feel some of that with like the people who are your age around you? Like, did you ever feel afraid to kind of break free and, and do all of this?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a very normal process with all of this. And I think, and I think it's important just to embrace that, like wherever you're at, to embrace where you're at. And if you are angry and you do feel stuck, just em- embrace those feelings. Um, even though it's hard too, but I I definitely felt that. And I felt, I didn't know how to move forward. I didn't know what to do, but I knew that I needed to shift what I was doing because I would have, you know, just the the quote unquote normal life, working a job, going to school, paying rent, living in an apartment or a random house, um, doing and trying to do things that I was passionate about on the weekends, getting out and going hiking, but ultimately just felt, felt, depressed all mm-hmm. the time and purposeless and, um, not like my f- self, not full and alive. And I noticed when I felt full and alive and purposeful and happy is when I was outside. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to, I always wanted to live outside since I was a teenager, but then as a young adult, I just tried to do, oh, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to do the job, I'm going to just try to do those things, um, because that's what you do in society. But it was so unfulfilling, I knew that I had to follow that.
3: Um, What did you study in college?
4: I studied... Ecosystem Sustainability. Okay. Mm-hmm. So something
3: related to
4: this passion. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, and I had got a minor in anthropology mm. too. So. Sweet. And I wanted to major in anthropology, but the thing with college too, it's still not even about feeding your passion. You don't mm. study what you're most passionate about because the things I was most passionate about, passionate about were anthropology and art. But I'm like, well, I can't justify paying to go mm. to art school because right. you're supposed to pay to ultimately get a job that's going to pay for school and more. So you're sort of supposed to pick the career that's going to pay you money or whatever. It's it's
3: all an investment system, right? It's not actually learning.
4: Exactly. Yeah, You should have
3: been like studying, you know, uh, cave art or something. You exactly.
4: Know? And that's what fascinated me. And yeah. I studied, I mean, I took a lot of anthropology classes, but I didn't choose it as a major because I was like, well, I don't want to become a professor.
3: Right. <laughs> and that's all and there is. Yeah, basically. exactly.
4: Except there's this thing called applied anthropology, hmm. which you can go to school for applied anthropology. And that's basically what I did after college. I just didn't know that's what it was called.
3: And how does that work?
4: That mm-hmm. is applying the skills that are all of our ancestors practiced, applying them. Oh,
3: I see. Yeah, so that, you would,
4: instead of just reading about um, flint napping and pottery, you would actually practice do it, it yeah. and you would do it the way that you think that people did it in that particular environment with the particular tools and resources available mm. to them.
3: Were there particular um, cultures that you resonated with most deeply, like both in your studies and also? <laughs> uh in, in your just your passions.
4: <laughs> yes. I growing up in the Southwest I was particularly interested in the Southwest cultures there. The Papago Indians and the you know the Anasazi is always really interesting too. Um and um yeah the Southwest is an amazing place to study anthropology and archaeology mm. because everything's so dry things mm-hmm. are preserved and there's yeah. so many ruins and being out there just on um, my own time i i uh just have, i've come across so many ruins out yeah. there the ones that maybe some that i don't that aren't on the map they're not in the guidebooks or no, that people might have known about but they're not known mm. about right and um and then discovered ones that people do know about, but I didn't know that I was going there. I was just out exploring and then, mm. then found them. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible just to walk up on this cliff dwelling that's just ancient and see the people's handprints mm. in the adobe walls it's and crazy. be able to put your hands right there yeah. in there.
3: I had an experience like yeah. that in Spain. I lived in Spain for a long time, and I used to go to the prehistoric cave art in the Pyrenees in, in southern France. And there are a couple of caves there where, um, you know, they would put their hand up and then blow ochre. Yes. So it's like a, yep. a, re- a relief or yep. a reverse print. And uh, it's amazing because you see all these handprints. And, like, one person, it was a woman's hand, and her uh, pinky finger was broken. And so you see that same finger in different places. Wow. So you see that she sort of went around. And then down below are all these children's hands. And they're fifteen to 20,000 years ago. Like... You know, you try to wrap your head around that and you're standing as close as I am to you right now. And you can just like sort of super, impo- you can't touch it. You shouldn't touch it, but you can, it's right there. And right. their hands are just like ours. Their bodies are like ours. Their right. brains are like ours. The brains were bigger than ours, actually. Um, and just to sort of try to transport your consciousness into where they were, how they, you know, what how their senses worked. Like when you're out in the desert for a few weeks, your sense of smell must just transform. Yes. Your sense of hearing transforms. Yes. You're living in a different dimension, in a way.
4: Absolutely. And
3: then we come into the city and everything's loud and stinky and chaotic and you have to deaden those senses just to survive. It's Absolutely. the opposite of, of being sensitive.
4: Absolutely. Fucking crazy. And that's that's been one of the hardest things about choosing the lifestyle that I've chosen is is the transition back and forth. Mm. Yeah. And I have just... I mean, I, I can tell you about so many different experiences of coming back into a town or a city or even a trailhead mm-hmm. um, after being out in the wilderness for a couple months. And it is, it's like heartbreaking. There's so many times I could, I would just bawl, you mm-hmm. know, I would just cry um, because it was overwhelming. And the feeling when you're out there, you feel so alive and like every cell is tingling and aware you smell things you've never smelled and feel things and hear things you can hear so far away and so close and you're tuned into all these subtle things and your intuition is on fire you can Mm. feel where animals are in in the forest like without seeing them you can smell animals you can I would wake up in the middle of the night to a new smell. I was even aware why I was sleeping, mm-hmm. to smells, yeah. things like that. And then coming in and being so wide awake and then going in to a trailhead, going on t- into a car, onto a road, into a town, into a grocery store, around billboards, radios, all that stuff – And then taking it all in, absorbing it completely. Your nervous system gets totally overwhelmed. And then realizing for me to survive in this environment, I have to shut all that off. And it just brings me to tears every time. And um, yeah, there's a bunch of stories I could tell you just around that thing specifically. But when I got um, after the alone experience, I was out there for 89 days Three months.
3: This was up in Alaska? Or? It
4: was in Canada, in hmm. the Northwest Territories, oh, yeah. on the Great Slave Lake, um, on First Nations land, Let's Okay Dene land up there. It's actually becoming a, a national park. Hmm. This is really special that we got to be there. And um, uh, yeah, I was out there for for almost three months. I was so mad. Not, I don't want to say so mad, but they they took me out on day 89 and I was like come on you couldn't have at least waited to day 90 a nice round number um so I could just easily say day 90 or 3 yeah. months but anyway 89 days I was out there and I was totally immersed in that environment and I didn't have any food I didn't bring food with me so everything that I was eating and drinking was from that land. I was hmm. that land. Yeah. And I felt so pure. My everything, my mental state, my spirit, my emotions, my body. I was so pure. And when they took me out, every little thing that was happening to me, I felt like I was becoming polluted. Yeah. And uh, I had to go to the hospital. And I begged them to not bring me because I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I cannot go to town. I can't do that. Um, but I had to. And um, when I got, I got, I got to ride in a helicopter, which was really cool, actually, because it was at sunset, hmm. which was at three p.m. Hmm. And
3: <laughs> so what month is this?
4: This was right at winter solstice. Wow. Yeah, right at winter solstice. You were solstice. out there in the middle of winter. Yeah. What the it fuck? was, ne- <laughs> yeah, it was negative 40
0: plus wind chill. <laughs> Did you not see the reindeer?
3: I saw the get reindeer <laughs> jacket. Yeah. Beautiful jacket, jacket, coat, whatever. parka. Um, they call parka, it yeah. yeah, Maltista. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. Well, at least you didn't have mosquitoes to worry about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Minus 40. Yeah.
4: in the when we first got dropped in September, there were some bugs. Yeah. Um, I got one in my ear. And when you <laughs> do, what'd you get in your ear? A uh, gnat, one of those black gnats.
3: Oh, and you couldn't get it out? I
4: couldn't. Joel, also on the season, he mm. got a bug in his ear, too, mm. and he, he um eventually got it out, but I had one in my ear. It wasn't shown on the show, but I had it in there the whole time, actually, and when I finally did go to that the hospital that I so dreaded going to, they looked, they're like, you have a bug in your eye. I was like, I knew that thing never came out of there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what they
3: do like pour wax in and pull it out.
4: They just squirt some water in there. Uh, yeah, modern medicine. Modern
3: medicine. I I knew a dude who had a he was sleeping somewhere. It might have been Australia, or something I forget. But a cockroach crawled into his ear, and uh, and he tried to like scratch it in his sleep, and it went in deeper. And then every time he, and then his girlfriend, he woke up his girlfriend, she tried to get it out with like tweezers or something. And so it went in deeper. And so it was scratching against his eardrum.
5: Oh, that's horrible. And it was, and it
3: was extremely painful. Oh. And they, he went to the hospital in the middle of the night. And the only sort of relief he could get was when he, he would just go,
2: oh,
3: oh. Oh, oh, like this So she leads him into the hospital oh, oh, And everybody's looking at him like he's having some sort of a mental breakdown <laughs> uh, But they poured hot wax in mm. And killed it with the hot wax and then pulled the wax out Wow Fuck Yeah, yeah it's
0: so the irony too It's interesting hearing you talk about all of this Like even the fact that the show is called Alone Where I'm sure you feel less alone And more connected in that environment than anywhere else. I mean, I'm sure if any of us allowed ourselves to actually do that, that we would feel the same way. Right. Um, I did. Yeah.
4: I felt like that. I know some people suffer a lot from loneliness out there.
0: Yeah.
4: I didn't, I felt, I didn't feel alone. I I really didn't. There were no other human beings out there, but I I felt very connected to the land. And every day I was out there, I felt more connected. I felt supported. I felt like I was, you know, developing relationships with a bunch of new friends and and connecting to myself in a really deep way too. And that... um, yeah. So it is, an, it is interesting, but you know, it is a TV show. So. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I guess probably though, the, you know, having been a young person interested in these things and probably not having an entire community that wanted to do it with you or support you, it's like there's probably to some extent you got used to that or familiar with it where maybe someone else who haven't hasn't had those types of experiences of being alone for long periods of time, it's more shocking to the system.
4: It's true. Cause there is, there's a, there's a journey with it. There's a whole journey and uh, there's definitely people that have gone on the show and that was the longest they'd been alone without talking to another person or been away from their loved ones. So they have quite a different,
2: right.
4: a different experience than somebody like myself. And there are other people like me who have spent long stints alone. So you already deal with all of the things that come up and you know what to expect and so you already kind of have all that stuff out of the way the you know the primary stuff so then you can kind of get into you can you have the appetizers out of the way you can get into the main course that's a weird (laughs) that's a weird comparison I don't I don't really like
2: that
3: we'll edit that out (laughs) uh we were sitting around the fire last night talking with some friends and um I don't know if you remember this but uh I think Jonathan was talking about uh, his wife's mother and, you know, like if the father dies and she's alone, how are they going to handle that? And they were sort of having that kind of conversation. Uh, what are we going to do in this case or that case? And he said something that stuck in my head. He said, the main thing is we can't let her be isolated because isolation is the death of sanity. Mm. I thought about that. I thought that's so interesting. Um First of all, isolation and solitude are two very different yeah. things, yeah. even though they look the same from outside, mm-hmm. right? And also, sanity in that case is something that is community-defined, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you could be—you could lose what we're calling sanity here, mm-hmm. which involves shutting down the senses and putting up with a bunch of fucking nonsense, mm-hmm. um, But then you're actually becoming more sane, right? So, you know, what is sanity in an insane society and all all that? But anyway, I wanted to sort of uh, ask you about the fact that hunter-gatherers, the people that you feel the spiritual affinity toward, were so much less lonely or alone than we are, right? I mean, 25% of people live alone in the U.S. right now. That's more than ever in human history. Mm And so it's interesting that you have these experiences that are aligned with the hunter-gatherer experience in in many ways, but yet you're totally isolated, which is very much not the hunter-gatherer experience.
4: Right, right. It is very interesting, and in the lo- so so an ideal situation for I think optimal happiness and well-being is not living alone in the wilderness. It's living with a group. It's living with. Uh, clan Um, and when I was out there that's how I felt I was like give me my people and I'm staying Mm -hmm. I love this this I am so happy doing this all I need is a little clan and we're good to go and I uh, felt that very strongly and so it is an interesting sort of thing Um, and also we're living on the land uh, by yourself is more challenging if you have a group I think it becomes easier Mm -hmm. because you can we can work together, and right. it makes a lot more sense to do it that way. But the way I was viewing it, that whole experience was as a rite of passage where, um, where you would go alone. Hmm. You would do a journey alone um, or without the support of your family and friends and learn whatever it is that you have to learn and come out of it a stronger, more aware um, person. And so I really was embracing that that time, that mm. solitude that I had. And as
3: a transitional experience, not as a life in itself.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it was perfect for that because since it was a show, I knew that I wasn't going to be living like that.
3: And you didn't have like camera people with you. You had your own Correct. camera. So Correct. you actually were alone. It was one of these Correct. Alone, Except for the sound guy and the camera guy <laughs> Right,
4: right, right yeah. yeah, and so that's the cool thing about this show So I'm not I'm not into TV I feel like that's a, There's a lot of smoke and mirrors out in the world And things just kind of suck you in And distract you from what you're really feeling And experiencing as a human being here um, And so I'm not a TV watcher I didn't want to go on TV either When they first contacted me I was like, no thank you um, But this show is really unique because it is what they say it is. You are dropped. I was dropped with, you get to pick 10 items from a list. You get uh, clothing, but it's limited. It's specific how much clothing you can bring some safety equipment and the camera gear. You have this, you know, waterproof box with all your cameras and batteries and memory cards and microphones, and there's no camera crew and you're dropped there and you're supposed to survive as long as you can. And, they will come in every, you know, anywhere from 10 days to three weeks to do a medical check and make sure that you don't have some festering wound that's going to kill you and that, you know, but you're just not telling them or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's a legitimate experience and that's why I did it because I was interested in having that legitimate experience and it was a way for me to do that and not only be able to go somewhere that I, probably wouldn't be able to go on my own and have this kind of bigger, grander experience. than I'd really be able to provide myself also to push myself in a way that I might not do if I didn't have to. I probably wouldn't have chosen negative 40, mm. not bringing any food. Did um, <laughs> you know what,
3: what the location was when when you decided to do the show, or do they tell you that after?
4: They tell you that after.
3: So you didn't know. You could have been Papua New Guinea. It could have been anywhere.
4: It could have been anywhere. This particular show doesn't really do tropical, so uh-huh. they usually do cold, uh, oh, more okay. northern climates. Right. Um, but it could have been anywhere. They could have but changed But you knew, their mind. obviously,
3: when when you were choosing your items, you knew what kind of environment
4: you were yeah, going to in. Yeah, then eventually, they after they pick who they're going to pick, they do tell you, they reveal the location, and then you have, you know, two, three weeks to de- really decide what clothes you're going to bring wow. and then go. So How it's, did
3: you research that? Did you look at what native people in that area use?
4: Absolutely, right. Absolutely, and that's you know one of the reasons I chose the the reindeer parka right. versus a modern gear because I'm like, well, those people have it dialed, mm. and the in that particular area was it was subarctic, so um, the reindeer parkers were used more in the true Arctic without you know up on the tundra and everything. So it was a little bit different, but I knew that 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 technology, that clothing technology, would be superior. And, so I did a lot of research on what the ancient cultures did there um, or indigenous cultures and um, and then also talked to people from they it was the same location that they did this the previous season, so mm. I got to watch mm. that season and see what the environment looked like, which was really helpful.
3: Mm. Um, what kind of shelter did you build?
4: I built a an a frame shelter with the The spruce trees that were there and moss and rocks and clay, they, one of the like safety with the camera gear comes a tarp. Mm. You can choose a tarp as one of your 10 items if you want. And then you could bring a nice tarp, like a canvas tarp, Mm. but they do provide you a crappy plastic tarp to protect the camera gear. And but because
3: <laughs> it's their gear, <laughs> exactly, it's their that's gear.
4: Right. They want you to protect it. And so most people, instead of choosing a tarp as a, one of their ten items, they just use the crappy tarp for the camera gear, and that's fine. They just say as long as you have the camera gear in the shelter with mm,
2: you. Right. So,
4: and that's something that's changed over the seasons. That this the show's actually gotten harder um, because in the beginning, the first seasons, that you actually got more stuff with the safety gear. Mm. Um, but that's kind of been less and less stuff, and that so it's it's getting a little bit more extreme.
3: Was there something that you wish you had brought, like after you were out there for a month or two, where you're like, fuck, I really should have brought X?
4: Mm, I felt pretty comfortable with my choices. The one thing I probably would have changed was one of my items. You could bring a gill net as an item. You could also bring paracord as an item. I chose paracord because I felt that it was two items in one because I could pull the inner strands out and make a gillnet, Mm. and that's what I did. So I got the gillnet and I got the paracord. If I just brought the gillnet, I would only have the gillnet and no paracord. But in the end, seeing how everything panned out, if I would have just brought the gillnet already made, I would have gotten it in the water right away Uh. versus you know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to make the gill net, but first I need to build my shelter. But first I need some fuel in my belly. And so there's, when you get dropped, you have to just do everything. You don't have anything set up. You don't know your, you have to scout your area, build your shelter, set up a trap line, make a blind, go hunting, like all on top of getting your daily firewood and, you know, water and processing any animals you killed. And then you're going to make a gill net too. And the weather sucks most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so it was forever, and then I, could, I finally made my gill net, and, um, but there was a bunch of challenges with getting in the water, and then the lake started freezing up and all this stuff. And so that if I were to redo one thing, it would be just to bring the gill net and not make it out there. Mm-hmm. But I had fun making it out there. <laughs> <laughs> so that counts.
3: You ever heard of Bruce Perry? I haven't. He did a TV show for years for the BBC called Tribe. And you reminded me of him when you were talking about your camera gear. Because he would go, he, he taught survival skills uh, for British special forces. And then he and a buddy went and climbed a mountain in Papua New Guinea or Erie Jaya, I forget, um, that had never been climbed. And they took cameras and filmed it. And then that film got attention. And then National Geogra- or, or no, BBC um, hired them to do the show. And it was amazing. It, would be, it was just him and a guy who did sound and camera i think it was just two guys um and he had this little water tight kit that he would take and that's all it was he had which was like emergency medical supplies i think but they would go to hunter-gatherer groups around the world like legit right Mm -hmm. not sort of people dressing up and pretending right um and they'd spend a month or two out there and he he you would love this guy he he's been on the podcast super cool dude um he just laughs all the time. He's, he's small. You he would he's not like a macho dude, you know, six pack, you know, he, uh, but he would just be with the people and he'd eat what they eat and do what they do and do their rituals and dancing by the fire and taking the drugs in his eyeballs and all this crazy <laughs> shit. Um, but just, to, but like totally respectful yep. and fascinated, yep. you know, just hungry. He's a beautiful guy. I love, I love Bruce Perry. Anyway, I don't, want, I don't want you to watch TV, but if you ever do, uh, National Geographic bought the show and like, you know, going tribal with Bruce Perry. They added all this American bullshit to it, but right. the show is the same. Right? Uh, it's fantastic.
4: It's just like modern day culture. You kind of have to sift through things, but yeah. They're, yeah. now being on this show, I'm sort of opened up to what is going on in TV world. And there are actually things of value Mm. out there and i think it is important and i do remember the things when i was young the tv shows that i watched that inspired me you know like globe trekker and survivor man and those things you know so there are it's like there's these things that do inspire people and even if they put the veneer of the the drama and the voice and everything the 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 essence is there and i think people still feel that and see that and That's cool. That's a dream of mine to do that.
3: I was thinking like, yeah, it would be cool for you to take over the show or the two of you to go somewhere together. I mean, you know, have a woman's perspective.
4: I would love it. I've always wanted to do that exact thing. But I also didn't want to be part of going and ruining the Mm -hmm. few tribes of people that are still like doing their thing without a bunch of people in their faces and just whatever, bringing all the, all the cultural stuff that we bring. And ultimately, even if it's, you know, pure with really good intentions, it changes things. And so that's something I've been aware of and wondering how to be able to, you know, go and learn from the people that still are connected to that lineage that has actually been passed down for since time immemorial but also yeah. not yeah. take take it away from them either. And then there's the whole... I
3: think you you and Bruce have something in common that I don't. Because I've, I've been invited to go visit hunter-gatherer people and I've never done it for exactly that reason, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't speak the language. I haven't studied their culture. I'm just going to wander in there and be some goofball sitting in the corner, right? Whereas you and Bruce both have spent decades studying... Learning ways of living that correspond with them, right? So you might sit down and make the fire one night and they're all going to be like, yo, check out this white chick. She knows how to make a fire, you know, like, or you could like trap animals and you can process animals and you can do all these things. You're not some newbie walking in saying, oh, can you guys feed me and take care of me? And by the way, I have an infection and I don't know what to do. And you bring your own knowledge to it. Um, which is a sign of respect. That mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know if well, I were also, you, I'd like, like, go for it.
0: Who's, you know, what is the show and who's watching? Like, I feel like what's cool about this is to some extent, it wasn't like reality TV where it's scripted and they're creating a narrative. It's sort of like you get to go there and tell the story that you want to tell that's yours. And I feel like maybe especially now and especially amongst younger people, instead of it being just pure entertainment, I do feel like people are... Are recognizing, like, how do I do more of that? You know, what does that look like emotionally? What does that look like realistically? It's not just like, oh, look at that crazy person out in the wilderness or going to visit some tribe, you know? Um, do you feel like the cameras there, like, did you feel that kind of responsibility of, like, oh, I'm portraying something to all these different people? And what is that gonna be? And how am I gonna talk about that?
4: Right. The cameras, so you are right. It's, there's no script. Um, it is, it's, we just film ourselves and hand over the footage and then they, they make the show together. Yeah. So it is a totally legitimate experience. They do edit things and they have, you know, there's a lot of just the same, <laughs> they, they need to edit it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um and did, but did you do, ever
3: film something that you knew wouldn't get in like i'm gonna take a shit yeah, now this say. is how <laughs> you take a shit in the wilderness ladies and gentlemen
4: there there was a lot of things that i didn't think that they that i was like oh, oh most the time you i was thinking they weren't gonna f- put in what i was doing because you're filming they want you to film literally all the time mm. every day all day if it's light out and you're doing something film even if it's light out, and you're not doing something film. They're just like, just have the camera on, keep it rolling, keep filming, because this moment you turn it off, something cool is going to happen. Right. You're going to miss it.
3: Do you have, like, a selfie stick, or how do you carry the camera?
4: We had three cameras. We had a couple – well, we had three types of cameras. We had a couple GoPros. We had a little handheld JVC and then a really nice um, camera on a tripod with mm. a, you know, a lav mic setup and everything. So we are always – I was always mic'd up, too, which I got – annoyed. You get annoyed with all the equipment also, because you're yeah. like, I'm just trying to eat, you know? Yeah. And you're like, just this is a great passage, okay? Like, I need to go hunting. <laughs> my thing. But the yeah. batteries are dead, and the uh, memory card's full, uh, and I just, ah, uh, you know? Yeah. Um uh, so I
3: interrupted. Th- you were talking about, like, if you felt you had to portray something.
4: Right, so there is, yeah, there's so much to talk about. With, yeah. There's so much to talk about with just that experience, and yeah. then there's the cameras and stuff. Yeah. So, to answer your question though, Chris, is you start, I was aware that anything I did could be on national television, but I knew that I'm going to give them what a thousand hours of footage and it's going to get boiled down to one hour. So I knew that most of what I was filming wasn't. So that kind of allows you to get really comfortable with, because you're like, oh, I know they're not going to put this on camera. And get off the counter. The goat is back on the counter. It is an outdoor kitchen for anyone listening.
2: (laughs) And she's not. She's like, I don't
4: want to jump down. She's soaked now. (laughs) Go be a good goat. Uh,
3: (laughs) For a change. So you filmed a lot of stuff and you knew it wasn't going to get on.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Have you ever
3: seen Grizzly Man?
4: I... I've never watched uh, the episode, but I was I was aware of him when he was popular and heard a lot about him and maybe saw like a clip or something. Anything. Well, he
3: takes camera. He took cameras right. to uh, the bear country in the Kenai Peninsula or wherever right. it was in Alaska. But, it, but the camera for him became oh, a companion. Yes. yes.
0: That's sort of what I was thinking about exactly. when I asked that question of like right. – This relationship you are almost having with yourself out there. Mm -hmm. And it's like this weird live journal or something. Private and yet so public at the same time. Yes,
4: it's fascinating. The cameras, it's like your Wilson, you know, from, right. from Castaway. <laughs> yeah.
2: right. And it the is ball. this
4: journal and they don't, you're not allowed to have paper or pens. So that's not part of that. Mm. So, and they specifically don't want you to, because then you would have a, basically an outlet. They want right. the camera to be your outlet because they love, I mean, that's what's interesting to people is actually seeing what pe- do people really go through mm. when they're in an experience like this. And that's what the viewers are fascinated about. So the camera is this journal that you're sharing very vulnerable things to because it's your only sort of person to talk to. It's not a person, but you're kind of talking to people because you know someone's going to watch it. And there is – there's – somebody's job is to go through all of your footage. They watch everything and then pull out the parts that they're going to put into the show. So I would – I became more aware of that person than every – all the viewers I would – refer to that person. I didn't know who they were, but I talked to them. I was like, "You, I was like, you're probably so bored of watching me cut firewood again all day every day or you're, you're probably bored of me in some
3: cubicle, some yeah. studio somewhere." So Did strange. you ever meet the person?
4: I haven't met the person, but I really want to because yeah. I t- I would talk to them. I and I was like, "Oh, you know, what are you eating right now? Do you have a snack? I hope you're enjoying that snack while you're watching this, you they know." they know
3: you really well. Yeah.
4: Really well.
3: Do you know if it's a man or a woman?
4: I I think it's a man.
3: Did you ever have any sort of sexual vibe with him?
4: I didn't, no. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you weren't doing like a like cam girl I in would the, in let, the I would
4: <laughs> let them know. I would give them sneak, uh, or not just, um, I would share my dreams. I uh-huh. would share my dreams, which were pretty vibrant out there and vivid, but no, no, no sexual thing with the camera or the person that I knew was going to have to watch all the footage.
0: Was there anything that you, that you talked about or that, or yeah, whether it was an experience or something you just spoke openly about that they didn't include that you kind of wish that they did?
4: yeah, there's a, there's actually a lot of things. I had a lot of, um, sort of like epiphanies out Mm -hmm. there that I would share and I was hoping to see them also so I could remember what I said (laughs) and felt I mean I still remember the feeling but I just wanted to you get to kind of relive it and see to see your own face and your eyes and the words that you chose so there's a lot of things like that that I'd love to see I would really like to see the rest of so when they pulled me like my last moment out there when they were like all right you got to you gotta go. I had to get pulled for medical reasons. I had frostbite on my toe. So that's what they they decided it was unsafe for me to stay out there. And All your
3: toes are still here, I can verify.
4: They, they grew back. It was this one. It grew mm. back. Wow. Yeah, the it the top was what it got frostbite and was sort of missing hmm. and it grew. It regrew. It's really cool. Bodies are crazy. Cool. Bodies are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Really amazing.
3: <laughs> Especially if you treat them the way you treat your body. I, mean, I again, put what my body doing?
0: through hell yeah. on the alone show. But yeah, that's yeah. pretty miraculous <laughs> healing. I've witnessed my body do things that I was like, there's no way I could ever come back from this. And just watching that process, it's like a, such a good experience. You have a lot of reverence, I think, for the strength of your body. It's yeah. nature, right? It, it's, yeah. it's,
3: it's like watching a forest recover. Yeah. Yeah. If we get out of the way, anyway. Again, I interrupted you. Oh, there's so I'm trying to track
4: all the there's like five the different points you're that you're I still want to make to <laughs> answer yeah. your guys' well, questions. It. Well, I'll just shut up. I'll
3: just shut up and let you talk. Well, for I a might. Th-
4: I probably forgot half of them already. Let's <laughs> <so. laughs> <laughs> get the toe grew back. Oh, I wanted to see. So what they show on the show is just a moment of me saying, okay, you know, okay, but watching my face and my eyes and seeing like, I just feel like being transported back to that moment and feeling everything I was feeling. I would have, I said a lot more before I actually left and got back on the helicopter. I would really like to see that footage, but we, it's not, you know, they have it, I don't have it. So there's a lot of things I'd love to see that I recorded. Yeah. That must be kind of frustrating. Yeah, I kind of made, peace one of the things I I got out there was this huge sense of peace and um, kind of unattachment to a lot of things not an unattached that I don't care I care so much but just um, acceptance of all the things that are out of my hands and acceptance of the things like the agreements that I have in my life and just I just felt this overwhelming sense of peace come over me when I realized that I could actually just accept my reality yeah. as it was and so that's part of it too I don't I don't really feel I would love to see that stuff but I don't feel this like sad feeling inside me that's longing for it either I trust if I get to see it I'll get to see it And if I don't I don't yeah. but I, re- I do remember it so vividly I don't think I hope I don't ever forget yeah. what I learned out there yeah. Are those feelings? I doubt it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting too, like going back to the original, one of my original questions about people our age that are so, I'm assuming you're kind of my age, 30 ish.
4: Yeah, I'm 32. Yeah. How old are you? I just
0: turned 32. Whoa, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm 34. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I wonder, like, the whole rite of passage to how many. 'cause i've I've felt I've not done anything nearly as crazy brave as you have, but certainly done things that a lot of people are like, "How did you do that, or how did you have the courage to do that or the strength to do that, or you know how how did you manage the fear, how did you not have fear um and I feel like I don't know if it was this for you. there's always fear, it's not like I'm not afraid of anything, but I think the more you put yourself in those sorts of scenarios. They are rites of passage. It's like, how are we not? Are are people our age not afraid to jump off the cliff simply because they've never jumped off the cliff before?
4: Right. You know? Yeah. Fear of the unknown. Yeah. Fear of the unknown. Fear of failure. Yeah. It's huge, and I think that, I think you're absolutely right. It's so important to. Our fears are our teachers, I feel like. And when I'm scared of something, I try to pay attention to it because I'm like, that's probably something that I have to do or I have to pay attention to that thing because it's going to push me. And going out on this experience, I absolutely had a lot of fears. One of the biggest ones was fear of failure, I thought. Like, wow, I've, you know, I have a lot of dirt time, but this is next level. This is an environment I've never been to, more extreme than I've experienced, with you know, less resources, you know, going out with no food and all of that, and really limited gear. And um I felt that I when I was preparing for it, I was like, wow, this is this is like bigger than me. And I'm scared to do it. I'm scared I'm going to fail at it. And not only will I have to deal with that failure, but everyone's (laughs) going to see it. Whatever thing I do is going to be seen by a lot of people and an edited version will be seen too. And that's a really hard thing too, because you don't get the whole story and you know that going into it, that your whole story won't be portrayed and you may or may not be betrayed very, be betrayed honestly too.
3: Um, yeah I signed or I didn't sign actually I was given a release form to sign once by a company that produced reality shows mm. and it's one it's the only time I've ever refused to sign a release form I was going on I don't remember what show it was but um it was a it was like a talk show they were interviewing me about a book I think mm. and the release form said you know, you agree to be um, uh, portrayed, including in ways that are totally unfair and, uh, <laughs> you know, like
2: Get distorted, inaccurate. inaccurate.
3: <laughs> it, accuracy has nothing to do with this. <laughs> we can edit this any way we want and fuck you, basically, is what it said in legal terms. And I was like, why would anyone sign this? Like, are you kidding me? Fuck that. I'm not signing it. Um but yeah, its its reality shows are amazing. It sounds like this one has more integrity,
2: it, and you I feel were like able to see
3: previous episodes mm-hmm. and seasons to make sure they right. weren't. It wasn't like let's make fun of the idiots in the woods, right? It's, yeah,
2: right.
3: What do you feel? I mean, watching you now, uh, talking about this stuff, I'm feeling like, uh, <laughs> I mean, this might be like more than you want to hear, but I'm thinking like you're a really beautiful woman Mm. and part of your beauty is your strength Mm. that you're like competent and strong and you know yourself. And that is a hugely beautiful thing, but it's also something that's really intimidating. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel that kind of conflict? Like, is there, is there something about the way you're living your life that, that may be conflicting with your ability to, have the kind of relationships that you might want to have. I mean, we already talked about community, but Mm -hmm. what about on a more intimate level? Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel this like struggle there?
4: Yeah, that's a, that's a real thing. And, uh, you know, there's so many cultural things tied into it, but a lot of men are, if they're not very secure in themselves, I'm kind of threatening because, I am pretty capable of taking care of myself and, um, I don't need, I don't Just need. say the, least.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking like if someone hears a van, a, a mouse in the van, yeah. guess who's getting up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard a bear outside, honey. Could you go deal with that? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just going to lie here and yeah. hope for the best.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Yeah.
4: So that has been a journey. I mean, luckily I've attracted some, um, you know, men that are, you know, confident in themselves, Right. but I'm even, even some of the men, they're like, well, gosh, if I would have met you when I was younger, I would have been scared as hell, you Mm. know, because you can do all these things. And I think just our our whole the way our whole culture is set up, women are supposed to look to the man to help them and do things for them. And we're even taught, you know, even me growing up is like, well you you know, my my parents were pretty supportive, but still just the culture, there's so much culture saying, well you're a woman so you can't really do that. And you need other people to take care of you. You need a man to take care of you. And i've learned i love working with other people, but I can take care of myself really mm. well and also on like emotional levels and physical levels and so that is that's been a thing um for sure
3: yeah so well i I, <laughs> I imagine it's something that that a lot of women deal with in different ways, I and mean, mm. we talk about this
1: um, all the time. all the time and and <laughs> and, and
3: you know we have strong, smart women in our social circle and we see a lot of them dealing with this, right? right? Like guys who either are intimidated by the strength or who try to, often unconsciously, but they try to cut the women down to to undermine their sense of security because I guess they're afraid that, you know, If you realize how strong you are, you'll realize how vulnerable I am. You'll leave me for someone better, whatever. There are all these weird sort of psychological things going on. Right. But it just seems like because of the way you live and and the fact that a lot of these skills that you've developed are traditionally in our culture seen as masculine skills.
4: Absolutely. You
3: know, like who builds the fire, you know, who chops the wood, who goes out and kills the animal. Those are all dude things, supposedly. Totally.
4: Totally. Yeah. yeah, a lot of guys don't know what to do with me. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's you know, I try not to get too, um, I guess, down about it. I just accept it as something that I'm going to have to deal with. But it I also do find humor in it, too. For one example, um, in the fall, I work at uh, Game Processors as a skinner and skin deer. And so hunters pull up and they're big trucks and they got their deer in the back (laughs) of the truck and they're going to bring their deer to the game processor. And then this skinny little blonde girl comes out covered in blood (laughs) and picks up their deer out of the back of their truck, throws it over their shoulder and be like, "Okay, you know, see you guys later. Go up to the front to pay or whatever and like lifts it on a hook all by herself. And they're just like what just happened?
3: (laughs) (laughs) What what, what kind of man am I?
4: Like, well, I mean, I was going to skin the deer. I just, uh, (laughs) and so it is, it's, it's funny and you know, it points to a lot of cultural things that I think we have a lot of room to grow on. Um, And yeah, I've definitely been, I definitely do a lot of things that are typically masculine. Um, Yeah.
3: Well, it's, it's a great thing because it's, it's a filtering mechanism. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to waste a lot of time with a guy who, like, they're going to see right away if they can't handle it. It's, right, they'll see in the first week. Like, right. whoa, right, this is way more than I thought when I buy you that drink at, at, the, <laughs> at the pub. <laughs> this is way more than I thought I was getting into. Yeah, yeah, but it's good. You won't waste time. You'll the the strong ones will filter through.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Did you have, were there women either like in stories or in your real life growing up that you kind of looked to that you felt like were kind of mentors in doing similar things like this or portraying the woman that you felt like you were or wanted to be? Or did you feel like you had to kind of make it from scratch?
4: Sadly, not really. Yeah, I'm not surprised.
3: (laughs) Sacagawea?
4: (laughs) Right. And no doubt there are... So many strong women, but you kind of have to really search for them as far as if you're going to read about them or in history or even in movies or shows, you have to seek them out. And I was actually having a conversation with, I have a younger sister, we're um, 15 years apart, so she's just turning 18. And she's really looking for these like strong female role models. And we were actually trying to um, think of historical figures and movies about strong female leads. And we had the hardest time, actually. And I was trying to inspire because she was like, "There's no strong females," ex-. and I was like, "Oh yeah, there are." I mean, for example, um, uh, I was like, oh. "I was like Joan of Arc," that movie, you know, or whatever. And it it was so hard to find those examples. And so, tr- like true, real women examples, um, they're out there, but their their histories are covered up. I mean, even that sweet book, like. Um, Genghis Khan and the making of the modern world and they have that whole book on the Mongol queens and it's the secret history and the author was talking about all the pages ripped out about the queens where they were trying to cover up the history of these queens these women rulers there's like very powerful women in the history of the Mongol world, but there was somebody that wanted to cover that up and didn't want it to be known that these women were strong and doing all this awesome stuff.
0: And interestingly too in the show there were two women and both of you ended up in the final three. Top three. That's yeah. fascinating.
4: Yeah. Um I don't think that's happened in the show before and and I think it's amazing because even if there were five even if the odds were five men and five women every season, it'd be interesting to see what happened. But it's just usually either there's been no women or two Hey <laughs> Sorry for yelling in the mic. Goat goat troubles here.
0: It's um, just jealous wants to be in this one. She does.
4: She's she's like, Hey, I I wanna be in this center of attention.
0: <laughs> yeah she's yeah, exactly. her name is alakai which
4: in fact is one of the names of a mongol queen
1: uh, mm-hmm. so, <laughs> so she, she picked her moment yeah,
4: yeah she <laughs> picked her moment well <laughs> what are we saying? oh yeah but uh kylan the other female she's incredible and i'm just so happy to stand by her as a sister and i feel like we both represented women really well in this season and Um, I hope it's an inspiration to other, other young women.
0: Do you feel like watching, I mean, this is maybe a strange, broad question, but do you feel like the two of you had, because you were a woman, a a different experience at all? Do you feel like within the show was, was there something about how you were kind of like intuiting your environment that could have been different from the way that the men were?
4: It could have been um, a lot of the men on this season were pretty amazing and like sensitive and tuned in mm. guys, which is really cool. And so a lot of them had it wasn't for them. It wasn't just about like, I'm out here to survive.
0: Conquer, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: Which sometimes is the mentality. And there were there was some of that, too. But there were also men on this season that were there to connect, connect to the land yeah. and listen and really be present. And which is amazing. And. Um, I don't know. It's hard to gauge and say, you know, who was able to have a deeper intuition about that kind of stuff. But I do think that women do have some innate sort of natural abilities to connect to the more than human world. Mm
3: -hmm. Greater than men.
4: I don't want to say that.
3: I think you just did. (laughs) (laughs) Which which is fine. I mean, women's sense of smell, for example, is no... I think 10 times more acute than men's, right? On average, right? Um, so there's certainly differences. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything controversial or weird about, about saying that you know we are tuned to different frequencies, and women definitely are picking up stuff than men are in, in general.
4: Yeah, I agree, and I think it that comes down to the. I know in general a a capable, strong woman is just generally threatening. So I just have it – it's sort of natural for me to not – want to say anything that's also going to add, you know, fuel to a fire. But I agree with you as far as just celebrating women and celebrating men. I, I don't think that we should just all be equal and pretend we're all the same because we're not. We're I think we should celebrate our differences and not make people small or wrong for the, our innate differences, but celebrate them and celebrate those things. And, and, and
3: work together so that we, right, you know, compensate right. for each other's weaknesses and blind spots and all that.
4: Exactly, because right. as a whole, we're amazing. men and women together just yeah. make this beautiful whole, and we if you especially if you support both of those natural qualities that are inherent in masculine and feminine and a energies. lot of
3: the, the things you know that we're considering masculine are very strong in in women, and there's nothing threatening about that, right? Mm-hmm. There's no.
0: What are things like if, let's say, you were to live in a more communal environment with men and women and people that had all different sorts of skill sets? Are there are there things like specific tasks or projects or just things that you like the most that you're like the most passionate about? Like if you if people were there to help you, would there be certain things that you were like, I want to do that?
4: That's such a good question. You it's easy to get used to just doing everything Everything. all the time. That's wonderful. Like what would my specific role be? I like that. I do like if, if it was a pastoralist tribe or group or community, I would like to be the one that goes out with the animals and just, it's a lot to manage animals and do all the other stuff. But just if your job is like, bring them out, make sure they have good things to eat and drink and bring them back at the end of the day. I do really enjoy that. It's, um, I really like that. I really like processing animals and um, processing food and especially preserving it for later feels really fun and just cutting jerky and piling up a whole bag of deer jerky. That feels rewarding.
3: How do you deal with death and killing?
0: I was going to ask the same question. Mm, (laughs) It's a good question. We could do a whole
4: podcast on that. I mean, like a series of podcasts, really. Death. Um, obviously, death is another thing in our culture that we're really disconnected from and have a lot of taboos around and fear around and just not even knowing how to speak about death. And I think that that's one of the things that we're really missing in our culture current modern culture is, were separated from death and births. And you, you know, in all throughout time, everybody saw births and deaths all the time. And you just were, that was a part of life was birthing and death. And now a lot of people, you could just go into, you know, whatever group of people who's seen a death, who's seen a birth. And a lot of people haven't seen either, even into. Late adulthood It's
0: wild
3: Yeah Or they've seen it Every fucking day In the ER Or firemen Or ambulance people It's like But super
0: like Sterilized It's not ritualistic Or meaningful Or communal No I just mean Instead of
3: it being Sort of spread out It's like It's like uh, our shit Instead of Sort of spreading it out And processing it So that it Helps things grow We concentrate it And you know Dump it in one place And poison it I feel like it's like
0: Disassociative in either I mean direction. like our friend
3: Justin who oh, who's, totally. you know is a fireman for eighteen years or something. Right. I mean he's seen so many horrible deaths that it it's hurt him deeply, right? right? right. It's not fair that
0: yeah. a
3: few people have to deal with that all with the all time. And yeah. the rest of us are like, What death? I don't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. You deal with it. Yeah. yeah.
4: Exactly. It's disproportional.
3: So what? as far as
4: are they being too
3: loud? No, it's okay. okay. They're chewing on sticks. This is the first podcast I've recorded among goats. We are <laughs> surrounded like by an audience of goats. And they want to hang with us. Yeah. They're very, they're like, let's go hang with those guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's get yeah, uh, like, closer viral. and closer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're coming in on us, aren't they? Um, But yeah, like, I mean, you obviously love these animals in a way Um, you, I imagine you love the animals you shoot when you're out in the woods, you Mm -hmm. shoot a deer, you Mm -hmm. know, an elk, whatever. There's a beautiful animal. Mm -hmm. Do you have either explicit rituals around it or, or something within yourself? Do you, is there a thought process that you go through where you pay respect or what, what happens? How do you do that?
4: Absolutely. To me, anytime I take a life, it's not lightly um, gratitude's a huge thing, respect, honor. And a, a a big reason that I got into all of this is because I learned about the modern food industry and how there's no respect to the animals that give their lives to, to, to fuel us. And I went on this whole journey with that. Actually, I chose, when I learned about the modern food industry, when I was 15, I was like, I'm not, I'm not eating meat. I don't want to be a part of that. At least as at least as much as I can have some control in not being a part of it, I'd like to not. And so I um, chose, I was vegan for a while and vegetarian for nine years. I didn't eat any meat. And I told myself that if I ever ate meat again, it would be from an animal that I was connected to. And I had to help help kill and process and everything. And I when I made that intention, I didn't even think that that was a reality. I didn't really know anybody that knew how to do that. And there's another side tangent about the power of intentions, too. Um take and- it. Well there well, we get to so many points we could just do a whole podcast on <laughs> all these points all right, we'll here. just
3: move but, in and we'll, but, we'll do a series
4: <laughs> fifty time. podcasts yeah. we'll be here till it snows <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, and so one, I, I want the animals I eat to be treated with honor and respect. And so that's a main reason that I do what I do. And even when I'm in the butcher shop, I'm like, all these animals, I don't know if they were treated with respect when their lives were taken, but I'm gonna use the parts of them that are thrown away and use their hides and turn their hides into clothing. And so that I'm gonna honor these animals in that way. Mm. And so a lot of what I do is about showing respect and honor for the life. Life that's given. I do have rituals around it. I always say thanks and um and it's emotional for me too. I care so deeply and in the when I was on the alone show in the Arctic for me to eat every almost every day I had to kill something. I didn't get a large um animal like a moose or a musk ox or a bear, so I was killing small animals and that meant you know it was like an animal a day a rabbit a day or a squirrel a day and for me to live it takes a life for me to have energy and fuel for this day and that's sad in a way but also to me it's inspiring because this this energy is not just nothing it's something very valuable a animal had to give its whole life just so I could have energy for one day. Mm-hmm. That's huge. And feeling the impact of that, I think, is at the essence of what it means to be alive.
3: Mm, that's beautiful. I hadn't thought about it that way.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, you see the price that's being paid for each day. Yep. So that inspires you to live in a different way. Exactly.
4: Right. Yeah. Live fuller and with more intention and more gratitude. And in a way that's yeah. not just about me. It's about a community. It's about an ecosystem.
3: Do you, How would you like to die? Oh, that's a great question.
4: I don't know how I would like to die, but I know that I would like my body to be food for other creatures. And when I first started um, killing animals, it—I it was so heartbreaking for me. Um, cause I would have a relationship with them. It was just so hard. Um, and sometimes I would just be crying. I'm like, why am I a human? Why can't I be grass? I just want to be grass. <laughs> like, it's so much easier <laughs> than being like the life taker. I was like, I want to be a life giver. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that, you know, I'm like one day my body will be food for something else. And it, it better be if anybody the goat is peeing right. You're peeing everywhere <laughs> <push> you because <laughs> this is why you don't want goats in your living room, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Girl.
3: Go on. that's great <laughs> <laughs> right, right in the middle of this really deep point you're making, and the goat's just like, "I'm going to take a piss right here, yeah. <laughs> right
4: in the middle of everything <laughs> that's the major difference between goats and dogs is you there's no really training you can do around where they they just poop and pee all the time, mm. so right. it's hard to train them to do it in specific places,
3: kind of like a litter box or something. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Yeah. So you you were talking about being a life giver, and at at some point your body will uh, mm-hmm. will feed. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I just if anyone puts me in a box, I will not be happy. I really want my body to just be food for for someone else.
0: What's your relationship
4: with <clears throat> for another animal yeah. or plants? Not I'm a not neighbor. saying I'm not saying <laughs> I want people to eat me. Yeah. Just to clarify. Yeah. I wouldn't be mad if somebody did eat me, but a little garlic was, and onions.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know. That would be weird if like that was your death wish. Like I just I want to be cannibalized. Well,
3: that, there was a whole thing. There, there, I bet there is someone. Dude, there, there was a thing in Germany just a few years ago where a guy on Craigslist said he wanted to be eaten. And is there anyone who you know can will do wow. this? And some other guy was like, "Yeah, I'll do it," and ended up. I don't know who killed, if he killed himself or the other guy, killed, I don't remember, but there was this trial because the guy had pieces of ah. him in the freezer and was eating him. And then his defense was like, no, that's what he wanted, you know? And right. here's this whole record of uh, texting and ads and stuff. Only in Germany, of course, you know? Right. But, yeah.
4: Right. When, when is consent enough, I guess?
3: Wait. That's a complicated question. <laughs> it's a whole other series <laughs> of time, another series. <laughs> Yeah, Exactly. Uh, you were going to ask something? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I was just
0: going to ask what your relationship with, I mean, obviously we're talking about like death and the sadness of all of this, but grief in general, I feel like not just with animals, but in what's happening with the planet. Um, I feel like we all, if we're at all open, are experiencing a lot of that right now. But I think especially people who live closer to the land who I think inevitably have more gratitude and understanding for it. I'm just curious, like, how do you keep yourself this open and this intuitive and this connected while, you know, it's it's fascinating because we're sitting up here on this hill with tents and an outdoor kitchen and these goats, and you, like, look down, and it's, like, clearly, like, agriculture and civilization, and it's so, it's there. You know, there's no way to escape it. Um, and I'm curious, like, how do you keep yourself from just sort of drowning in pits of despair um and feeling like like you know you you alone can't can't save us all
4: right that's a very important question because I think a lot of us do really struggle with all those feelings and I know that I have and sometimes still do is just you just yeah drowned in the grief of how many horrible things are happening in the world every day and feeling that they're feeling powerless in it and for me my the way I keep my power around that and not just wallow in the grief is a accept the grief is accept the grief and use it as fuel f- to transform that grief into something else like something else that's life-giving just like a death your death you know, a life is, life is given, uh, um, and then it's transformed into energy for somebody else, for a person that eats the rabbit or for the, you know, the deer that eats the grass, that energy is transformed. And when I always use that for like a human death too, it's so hard for us to lose our loved ones, but that energy, like let it transform that grief, that sorrow, feel it, and then let it transform into life giving energy, just like the death of something that's going to be an animal or plant that's going to be food. And for me that that's what the grief and that, that other side, like not ignoring the grief or like the darkness or the shadow or the nighttime, like embracing all of that and letting it be fuel for the, the day and the light and all that other stuff. And, um, Uh, for me, what I do to keep my power is to hold gratitude and just be thankful for like, what do I have to be grateful for? Like, yes, there's all these horrible things, but what's good going on for me right now and how, and that gratitude transforms how I feel every day. And hopefully it allows me to do something that is good and make a little small difference and a little change and a little progress towards something that's a little bit better than what everyone, our society is doing right now.
3: Do you feel like the skills that you're learning and you teach these skills as well, right? Survival yeah. skills. Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
4: yeah. That's been my main way of sort of like making it in the world or like finan like supporting myself financially has been teaching these skills. Do you
3: have a website or something? That I just mention? got
4: one. I didn't, oh. but now because of a loan, I'm like, well, I guess I'm out there. I might as well, you know, monetize. Make a Branding. make a website. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so what's the website?
4: Uh it's Capricorn. So
3: Capricon with a C,
4: yeah, like so C A R, P A like Capra, like a goat, and then oh Capra,
3: like oh right yeah. Cabra con yeah okay.
4: Capra, oh like with a P like, or a B, a P, oh you have to like redo that Capricon, Capricon
3: uh-huh, C A P R A C O N.
4: K-H-A-N.
3: K-H-A-N. Yeah. Khan. Oh, like Genghis Khan.
4: Exactly. Oh.
3: Okay. So it's
4: like Capra, Goat, Khan, like Genghis Khan.
3: Alright. If this is confusing folks, there <laughs> will, will be a type link. It out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there will be a link in the description.
4: I'm not a businesswoman. A businesswoman would have probably <laughs> chosen something that's easy to yeah, s- easy
2: to, to, to spell when
4: you say, but Capricorn to me, it means goat queen. Uh-huh. And, um, go- the goat is such an amazing example to me. They're a bridge to, I feel like our past and there, people are like, Oh, there was like pastoralists and then agriculture. Um, but I think that pastoralism was sort of a response to agriculture hmm. that people, Well, that's a whole nother conversation. But anyway, the reason Capricorn, goat queen, the goats, um, you know, there's in a goat herd, just like elephants, the matriarch is the one who's in charge and keeps the herd safe and makes Mm. the decisions. And so holding that kind of like strong leadership, but also goats have this amazing ability to survive on really... um, I'm like, it's abused land, but I don't want to say abused. Um, Mm. Yeah. Really messed
2: with. Right. I'm totally spacing on the Uh, word. Over
4: but goats have ability to survive on overgrazed and overused land and the they can eat things toxic things like napweed for example they can eat these toxic plants that are a result from modern culture and farming and transform them into milk mm, and so it's right. to me it's this metaphor for how do we take our current situation that is like yeah there's we've done all this stuff and now there's like toxic plants growing everywhere and these like monocultures and all this but how do we transform that into something that's beautiful and life-giving yeah so the goats to me are a symbol for that transformation Hmm. interesting (laughs) yeah
3: definitely um all right we've gone for uh an hour and a half now do you have something you want to wrap yeah, r- with? Yeah, I have to ask
0: my annoying end of podcast question. Okay,
3: can I ask one first? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, she, she has sort of a ritualistic thing at the end.
4: <laughs> that's good. And the last, the very last question that you asked was a good one. Did we say it all? I think we did. What was yeah, it? Yeah, it was about grief. grief. Oh, yeah. grief. I think yeah, we right. wrap. I think that was, yeah. Complete.
3: Well, I mean, and there's Hopefully. so much going on there, right? Because you're talking about gratitude and, and your own sort of mental habits of, of, Transforming sadness into life Right? Mm -hmm. Death into life You started by talking about how your brother's Deaths Mm
2: -hmm.
3: sort of Launched you Mm -hmm. into a different kind Of life than you might have had otherwise Certainly richer and more intense And sincere Mm -hmm. And then we end with the goats Eating poisonous plants And transforming that into Mm -hmm. Life-giving milk I mean, it's pretty intense, pretty good I'd say But what I wanted to ask you is in your in your journeys, when you're out, I mean, you're out for months, right? In the Southwest, mm-hmm. did you say?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You're out. I mean, I don't know where you go, but there aren't a lot of areas where you can actually be alone for months at a time. Right. I imagine every once in a while you run into someone out there who must be a fucking character.
4: <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to be other like, it yeah,
3: uh, like
0: was going to be shocked hike. by yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> they're probably saying the <laughs> like, same thing.
3: That's my point.
4: What? <laughs> Why?
3: Because there are these filtering things. Like I used to travel a lot, like backpacking. And, and I'd always, I love that largely because the people I met were the kind of people who did something like that. Right. Like mm-hmm. they're not the people who are sitting at home in mom's garage, you know, like just hanging out there. People who are like, fuck it. I'm going to Nepal and I'm going to walk for five weeks and I'm going to, you know, and so w- you meet these people and they're like all interesting. Yeah. So I'm imagining you walking around in New Mexico or wherever you are. You're a month alone, and then you see some dude wandering into camp, and you're like, "Okay, who the hell are you? You must have a story, you know, (laughs) otherwise you wouldn't be here." (laughs) Totally. So have you have you met? I mean, do you want to? Is there someone in particular who jumps out, or some encounter that you had when you were?
4: I've definitely ran into some characters. I'm just trying to think of a good a good a good one a good story. <laughs> I've definitely freaked people out. Okay. I've been the the freak in the woods right. a lot. I'm Like, oh, it's so just normal camping over here.
3: Are you on like forest service <laughs> land or are you want? One-
4: yeah and um all I I've tried I've tried staying on all you know BLM national Forest, you know all kinds of stuff I've spent time on um private land too uh, with permission also um all kinds of different things I think that's such a
3: good question Well no pressure if something pops into your head it's
0: yeah it must be funny though in the opposite direction that people are like i'm so outdoorsy i'm going on my like three-day backpacking trip and i've got all my gear and then they run into her and she like lives yeah. there i, I <laughs> had
3: i had a guy in the park the guy who who cut off his own arm do you remember that story
0: the, like, um
4: oh 30, yeah, 20, I, yeah 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 the um worth. Yeah. yeah, there was a movie about him. Yeah, I think I yeah, I do remember. Yeah, that. Yeah,
3: I had him on the podcast. Really interesting guy. Cool, but like a totally different thing. I mean, so he's out by himself, running, doing a day thing, and disaster strikes. You're out for months at a time, and kept
4: it together. I kept, so far, it, toge- I kept st- it together mostly. Yeah. yeah,
3: but I mean, sometimes things happen that you just nobody could have foreseen. Right,
4: it. right. I mean,
3: have you been like? Have you ever had like a rattlesnake bite or any kind of like serious life or death kind of situation?
4: Um, yeah, that's a, that's also a good question. And one thing just about your, um, the guy that got his arm smushed when you're going out for, when you know you're going out for a long time and you're by yourself, there is a difference. I'm not saying that he wasn't in that mentality, but you're like, if I get hurt, I am in a very bad situation. So I know with on alone and whenever I'm out by myself, I'm very calculative like I calculate my risks and I try to limit my risks too. Cause I know what can happen. I don't want that to happen. So I try to be careful. Um, and I have had, luckily I've never had a very bad injury with myself. I have had goats. I've had goat injuries, like goat broken. I've had a goat break a foot falling off a cliff before, um, I've had like udders ripped open from barbed wire and like lots of goat injuries, which are hard and sad to deal with, but everyone always made it through. And then I worked in wilderness therapy for many years and the teenagers were always getting hurt. So I, I did a lot. I was um, like a first responder on lots of lots of all kinds of things. It's another whole podcast on the wilderness therapy issues, but I had to call helicopters for people. Um, yeah, craziness, and I've driven lots of people to the hospital from the back country. Yeah, all night down a bumpy road. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
3: oh, that's a tough drive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, time for your ritualistic end of podcast questions.
0: Uh, yeah, so I ask everyone who's on the podcast if they could recommend a book to the audience yes. if that was really meaningful to them.
4: What would it be? Can it only be one? No,
0: you can pick multiple.
4: Okay, first. Highly recommended. I wouldn't say it if it wasn't highly recommended. That goes without (laughs) saying nature and the human soul by Bill Plotkin. I feel like it's a must read and also braiding Sweetgrass
0: by uh, Wall wall Kimmer. Yeah. So the funny thing about this, so I've been asking, I've had the podcast for two years and I've been asking my podcast guests to recommend books. And then eventually I have a, this Patreon page where people like donate to support the podcast. And in exchange, I give them extra stuff bonus. Um, and I decided to do a book club. And I decided that I was going to do it four times a year. And each time I would pick a collection of books that podcast guests had recommended within a certain theme. Um, and I just launched the first one. And the, the theme was, you know, like our nature and our connection connection to it, the planet and how we're a part of it. And Braiding Sweetgrass 1. So there's a bunch of us who listen to the podcast now who are reading that book, and it's like, it's such a good, first of all, it's such a good book to read with other people. Mm-hmm. Like, that in and of itself mm-hmm. has been so synchronistic and magical. But, yeah, that book is, like, nourishing my soul in such a profound way. It's so crucial. It's yeah. such a good m- message,
4: too, because we have so many things about our culture that are just backwards. Like, oh, humans are bad. And just don't right. touch anything in nature because you will break it and ruin it. Mm-hmm. Right. We need to go away
0: in yeah. order for this to be fixed. Right. Be
4: like, right. Yeah. Industrialized civilization. Sure. Right. Go away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but humans are very, we're crucial species in an environment hmm. and we're necessary in a healthy ecosystem. We're like a keystone species in a, if we're healthy individuals in a healthy ecosystem. And I love her book because it's saying the opposite of what we've been told our whole lives which is we're just bad for the environment but she's like no there's all these plants that you have to that need a relationship with people to thrive right. and we need to remember what our role is here and that
0: we are I mean that's the great one of the one of the many great things about that book too it's like she uses metaphors constantly but it's almost not even a metaphor because the fact is that like humans do exist and process and live in the exact same way that plants and animals do. So it's like, it's like almost like the original metaphor to some extent. It's like everything is so holistic and works together if we allow it to, it's just such a beautiful message.
4: Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. I'm so glad you're getting that book out there. I just feel there's a few books that just like you, it will just help all of us be, yeah. figure out where we need to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, attending the wild. Also, another good one. Sweet. Yeah.
0: Thanks.
3: Can I add one?
0: No. Uh.
3: <laughs> I'm sort of a guest, aren't I?
0: You were. I was. I was going to recommend it to
3: you. Uh, Shaman by Kim Stanley Robinson. Ooh. It's a, one of the best fictional descriptions of hunter gatherer life I've ever read. Cool. Prehistoric. I would know? love to read it. And it's about a vision quest. It's you know a young guy goes out and. Uh, is alone for a few months and, uh, but there are a lot of strong women in the story too. It's not male centric. It's great. All right. I think we're done. I think so. Thank you so much. Which is weird because the goats are totally relaxed now. Yeah. We've been struggling with the goats for an hour and a half and now they're all just sitting in a circle around us. Totally chill.
0: Yeah. Chewing.
4: They're like children. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They want attention. Gathered around. (laughs) They got their attention. Now they can relax.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's like on this (laughs) stuff. Cool. you guys, this is awesome.
3: Yeah. Thank thank you. you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. And now Mm -hmm. we're going to like sit around a fire drinking wine and many times tonight we're going to be like,
0: damn, we should have talked about that (laughs) in the podcast.
3: Oh, that's so good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We have this idea because we have conversations all the time and we both have podcasts. Like we should just turn the mic on. Like every time we're driving in the van, we think that would have made a great podcast. It's a van cast. Yeah. 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 All right. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Hello, everybody. Thank you for sticking around and listening to that episode. If you would like to support the show and get a little bit deeper into this whole Millennials Guide community, I highly recommend going to patreon.com slash Anya Cots A N Y A K A A T S can sign up and donate to support the podcast on a monthly basis depending on what level you sign up at you can get access to um, playlists and t-shirts and uh, whatsapp group chat with other uh, listeners and uh, book club we are just about to finish our first book for the book club braiding sweetgrass which as you heard <laughs> Callie recommended it's So fucking synchronistic and beautiful um anyway that's a great way to support the podcast we will be doing more book clubs in the future Uh, If that's not your thing, if you can't afford it, I totally understand. Another great way to support the podcast, if you'd like, is to go into iTunes, hit the little subscribe button, scroll down past all of the episodes, hit the stars, leave a rating, and then write a review. It can be a word or two, but it helps greatly in getting the podcast to show up on lists that iTunes puts out. Uh, makes it easier to uh, show up in search results, and also makes the podcast more look more legitimate so that when I reach out to guests to come on the show, they feel like, oh yeah, people listen to this, this is worth doing, instead of like, nobody listens to this and I'm not going to waste my time. So the value in that certainly comes back around. I'm going to play you out today with No Hard Feelings by the Avett Brothers, which... I love when I pick music for this podcast, (laughs) I often sit down. It's kind of like sitting down to like an astrology reading or a tarot reading or something because I just sort of sit down and set an intention around the episode that I'm playing and go into Spotify and hit shuffle and see what comes up by really focusing on the guest and what we talked about. And anyway, um, this was the first song that popped up, which made a ton of sense to me because it really speaks about when we die what are we going to feel? Are we going to feel that we did everything we came here to do or at least did our best to try and accomplish all of those things? Did we live in a way that felt real to us and that we're going to feel nourished by and grateful for? Or did we hold on to a ton of hard feelings and resentment and anger that we never explored and we're going to die feeling like we wish we had more time? I hope not. I hope it's all the former for all of us. (laughs) Thank you so fucking much for being here and listening to this podcast. You guys give me life and motivation and just straight up happiness to keep going. So thank you. Enjoy this song. I will talk to you next week.
5: My body won't hold me anymore And it finally lets me free Will I be ready When my feet won't walk another mile And my lips give their last kiss goodbye Will my hands be steady When I lay down my fears My hopes and my doubts The rings on my fingers And the keys to my house With no hard feelings When the sun hangs low in the west And the light in my chest Won't be kept held at bay any longer When the jealousy fades away And it's ash and dust For cash and lust And it's just Hallelujah And love and thought Love in the words Love in the songs They sing in the church And no hard feelings Lord knows they haven't done Much good for anyone Can't be afraid and cold With so much to have Nobody won't hold me anymore, and if finally lets me free, where will I go? Will the trade winds take me south through Georgia rain, or tropical rain, or snow from the heavens? Will I join with the ocean blue Or run into a savior true And shake hands laughing And walk through the night Straight to the light Holding the love I've known in my life And no heart feelings, Lord knows they haven't done much good for anyone, kept me afraid and cold with so much to have.